0: Welcome into another edition of the Otts and Audibles podcast. I'm Eric Scopa. You probably haven't heard my voice in, I think, about a month. I was on a a nice brief vacation, saw some beautiful sights in South America. Um, Really enjoyed myself, but I'm back. And uh, ironically, my typical co-host, whose voice usually leads this show, Matt Preem, will not be on the show today. Um, But we do have a guest and a guest whose voice you're going to start hearing a lot more frequently in the weeks and months to come. We have Jared Mack on the show. Uh, First off, Jared, uh, I will start by saying this. We have, I would guess I would say promoted Jared. He was an intern for the last couple of years on DuckTerritory.com, and he has just been hired full-time to help replace Kevin Wade, who moved on this spring. Uh, Jared, first off, congratulations. I can speak for myself, and I know Matt, who's not here, but I'm sure the next time he's on a podcast with you, we'll do the same. Congratulations. Uh, Long time coming. Really excited to get to work with you. And I think this is like your first or second time on the show I don't know what your history is, but uh thanks for
1: joining us. well, you know, thank you for having me it's uh it's great you know i i a promotion i guess is the right way to describe it. you know I've been working with you, Matt and Kevin the last two years, and you know all the all the good work finally paid off. Uh, I think this is my maybe third time on the show. I think i you know did one of the one or two of the recaps post football game sitting up mm. in that's the right. uh, the and you know, up there. And uh, yeah, so this is uh this is my first official podcast with with you. And uh, hopefully we can do some more with you and Matt and, uh, you know, go from there.
0: Yeah, I, I think not to not to go too far into, uh, you know, I guess how the bread is baked and whatnot. I think we are you're going to see probably a little bit of a difference to those listening going forward from a podcasting perspective, not that we aren't going to have the Eric and Matt show, but I think we'll incorporate Jared a little bit and, and maybe some Solo shows and stuff. So you know that won't happen immediately. Uh, Jared is coming on full time at the end of this month. Um, Matt will be back soon. But you know, once we get into the you know the heat of fall camp in August and then into the season, uh, certainly I think you're going to see just a couple of different podcasting options. So look towards that going forward. All right, this is a mailbag show. I know it's going to be dropping a little later than normal. We're working around some scheduling conflicts. Jared's still working another job what uh, <laughs> he becomes full-time with us on, I think, the 31st of July. I think SNL, the Saturday Night Live camp, will be his first. But he's still juggling yeah, other sure. responsibilities. So blame Jared. Don't blame me. Um,
1: Please. yeah, I'll take all the blame for the first couple weeks. And then <laughs> it can go right back to being on Eric and Matt. There you go.
0: And that's and I'll say That is how I like to operate. When I can blame somebody else, I make sure I do it. So let's get that out of the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, coming to you a little bit later tonight, but this is going to be a mailbag episode as are uh, basically every Wednesday show. Um, so they're going to be answering you, the fans' question. These questions all came from twitter.com. Um, if you are interested in, and you're listening and going, man, I'd love to get a question in, it's pretty simple. I post a couple of prompts usually on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, each week and uh, ask for questions if you're on twitter follow me eric underscore scopel also uh, follow jared jared underscore mac seven Um, but for me yeah just if you want to throw a question out here and, and hear it answered uh, I will throw a prompt out and, you can, and And that's a pretty easy way to get on the show and, and to kind of hear our perspective on some of the things you want us to talk about. Um, I want to address something f- off the top here. One of the questions we received this week was from at Crystal Ornduff, who does a lot of question asking. So we appreciate you, Crystal. I wanted to just acknowledge this. I saw this question. I'm not going to go into it too far. But um, the question was, did you guys stop doing the emergency podcast? I was surprised there haven't been any with all the commits lately. Uh, no, we definitely haven't stopped doing those. Um, you're going to definitely I think certainly see a lot of those going forward when there is recruiting information, when there is maybe coaching you know news and turn, you know whatever transfers, whatever the kind of team news that feels significant. Um, I was on vacation like I said for two weeks. Matt basically the day I came off vacation, Matt went on vacation, um, which coincided with the, the three verbal commitments. Uh, from Nicholas Anderson, Michael Wooten, and Cameron Williams last Thursday. So there wasn't an emergency podcast. I I apologize for those that wanted our perspective. We're going to give you, I think, quite a bit today. Um, But Matt was on vacation, and and the last thing I wanted to do was ask him to do a a podcast, even though it probably would have been a fun show, um, on a day when when he was technically not asked to work. So um, I appreciate the question, Crystal, but I just wanted to clarify that before we jump into the, the rest of the program. All right, first one from at Stephen Welch 822 does Oregon need more than four offensive line recruits this cycle? It seems like they're still going after some guys, even though they have four commits so far. Um, for, uh, let's just start with this uh, because those listening, I'm sure many of you are big into recruiting and you followed us on duckterriture.com or at least are familiar with what's going on. Like I said a second ago, Oregon had a, a massive recruiting weekend and it was really built around the offensive line. I know mean, that's not a huge shock if you're an, an Oregon fan, but, The Ducks went out and landed, like I said a second ago, Wooten and Williams, and then on Sunday, the big one, the five-star recruit, the new number one top recruit on the offensive line Oregon has ever landed a commitment from Kelvin Banks out of Texas. Um, This is a big, big big-time addition. Uh, So the Ducks now have four. Those three I mentioned a second ago, and then the number one Juco player in the country, Percy Lewis out of Mississippi. It's a really, really good four-man class there. But I do think you're going to see them add a couple other guys. Um, you know, the Ducks are, are definitely in on uh, David Lauli or Auli from uh, the Washington area. He's an interior offensive lineman. There's been a number of um, crystal balls put up for him. Those are predictions for those unfamiliar uh, for Oregon in you know, the last week or so. I think he's somebody you can maybe see make a decision, not you know, soon rather than later. And, and if that decision is made, it's probably Oregon. Um, and there's a couple of other prospects out there. Although I like, and I'll throw this over to you, Jared, just to say like and this is twisting the question slightly, but, like, are we surprised if there's a position that Oregon's going to take maybe a couple extra dudes at, its offensive line, considering who the coach is and, and, and what his background is with, with the
1: position? No, not at all. I mean, that's exactly <laughs> what you just said. I mean, it's, it is – obviously, it is Cristobal's bread and butter. Uh, you know, offensive line coach Alex Mirabal, he's one of the best in the business. And, I mean, if you just look at the quotes from – Calvin Banks Jr. Following his visit, saying like, "Oh, this is the O line you essentially." Right. Um, it, that's that's exactly what Mario Cristobal is trying to do, and it's it's paid off in recent years, as you can tell, with Oregon's success in running the ball and pass protection for Herbert. And and although last year the line, I think combined, had one one or two total starts, it was still formidable, and that was. Uh, basically uh, a rotation of of big men up front Mm -hmm. so to take four offensive tackles so far in this class is is, isn't surprising and obviously they're going to keep going after people you have Ayuli like you just mentioned you have Josh Connerly up north in Washington that they're going hard after Uh, I, I like you said I would expect them to keep adding and keep you know providing depth and then at one point, if if all these guys stay, and including Percy Lewis and Kelvin Banks, you know, the the depth on the front line is going to be astronomical to where it was just five years ago. And again, this is how Oregon wants to run their offense. This is what they've shown in the past, and I think it's going to help them in all facets.
0: One important distinction before we move on to the next question, right? And I think Jared sort of made it there. All, all the commitments right now are offensive tackles at least 247 has them ranked that way has evaluated them as Mm -hmm. offensive tackles I think interior guys need to be added and that's where David Ayuli fits in he's an offensive an interior offensive lineman one of the best in the entire country a top 200 recruit again out of the of the Washington area and and again a guy who Fits, I think, a need in terms of you look at the body types of the guys they have right now, and Percy Lewis is six eight, like three hundred and eighty pounds, and (laughs) I think Cameron Williams is three hundred and sixty five pounds, and he's six foot five. These are these really big, broad body types, and not that Ayuli's small; he's like six four, six five himself, but he's an interior guy. So, um, you know, I would imagine of the four, but you know, just to, I don't have this like I don't know for sure, but I would imagine of the four guys that they currently have commitments from like I'm not going to be stunned if Cameron Williams ends up playing as a guard or if Percy yeah. Lewis maybe moves yeah. inside like these guys could probably play multiple spots but at least right now the recruits are, are kind of perceived to be offensive tackles so a guy like it really makes a lot of sense in terms of adding to this class and in the offensive line
1: yeah sorry before we, we go on I'm, all of these guys are obviously they're all young but they're all projectable you know, they're all still Definitely. growing yeah. into it. They're all still, you know, Oregon clearly has a type that they like to, to pick up. You know, it's these big athletic freaks who can be molded into whatever they need to be. And, you know, with Michael Wooten, Cameron Williams, they might not be the highest rated guys, but they're both, you know, six, seven, 320 plus pounds, uh, you know, putting them in the, the, the weight room program with coach Feld and, that's going to work wonders, just like it has in the last couple of years. So you look at this, and these are all projectable guys. And you, at one point, you just have to figure, obviously, that Mario and, and Mirabal, they, they see this, and they see their projection. And you've got to just you know, put your confidence in with them.
0: My last point before we move on and, and as those listening you know I, I will this will happen quite frequently especially when I'm hosting where I'll just we'll stay on the same questions a little longer because I'll have a bunch of things I want to talk about but I, I just want to say I put it up on the site um, the Kelvin Banks film for those that haven't watched it it is like it's <laughs> like there's a reason he's a five-star and the best offensive line recruit organs picked up and this guy is they they use him as a, as a basically a pulling tackle which you don't see a ton of and he's just basically a lead blocker at six, five, 300 plus pounds and just demolishing dudes. So um, mm-hmm. go, go check that out. The guy's an incredible athlete and, and just a nasty guy. So that's going to be, you know, assuming again, that he hasn't signed, he has just committed. We're several months away from, you know, the possibility of actually putting ink to paper, but assuming that happens, this is going to be someone that's going to be so much fun for Oregon fans to watch. And then, you know, with the tutelage he's going to have from two of the best offensive line minds in the country, mm-hmm. It's gonna be pretty scary thinking what he projects to be down the line.
1: Well, yeah, I think another scary thought is him and uh, Jackson Powers Johnson on the same line pulling. Yeah. <laughs> Jackson. He he plays downhill at all times. So uh, those two are coming at you, you're gonna want have to watch out there. No kidding. And then you've got well, we can well,
0: there's a lot of exciting stuff on the offensive yes. line. We'll talk to it on the line. I, I I just I wanted to then talk about Kingsley Sumataya, maybe at left tackle and what that would look like. And how maybe Bram Walden ends up sliding inside and plays right guard. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, this is the fun thing here. And actually at ductarity.com we had a, a good discussion and it's interesting. It, there's a couple of different ways to look at where things are on the offensive line. You look at 2021 and it's a lot of veteran guys, but by 2022, it could be like five of, you know, three to five of those starters could be members of the 2021 or 2022 class. It could be really young in a hurry, but arguably the most talented from a recruiting perspective that Oregon has ever had. So like there's going to be a transition period of 2021. They bring everyone back. A lot of them are juniors and seniors. 2022, you could legitimately, I think, see several freshmen, sophomores um, push their way in and it could be, it could be a nasty group. Mm-hmm. All, right, really agreed. all right. And then we'll stop it there. Cause on this question, cause like I said, I'll end up on four different tangents and we'll be on this for 35 minutes. And we're going to do a couple extra questions today too. So uh, we don't want to make this a two hour podcast. Next one from at Smith underscore Garrett nine, based off of the current recruiting trajectory, is Oregon just going to continue to recruit the best ever at blank position year in and year out? They have eclipsed the best O-line recruit nearly every year since Penny Sewell's class. Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Definitely use that hashtag. It makes it a lot easier for me to find these questions. Um, I I, I did a little research here um, just on some data um, because I think this question is really interesting. And I think just to start to answer your question, Garrett, like straight on, like, yeah, I think it's just going, going to basically going to be the status quo of like every year it's, Oh, here's the new best, you know, tight end they've landed. Oh, here's the new best defensive lineman that they've landed. And, and, and so forth, you know, so far and so forth. And, and I, again, I, I went through all the positions and and 247 as a network has a really cool tool, the all time commit commitments tool. You go look at it and it gives you the history from a recruiting rankings of kind of, What has happened in the past? You know, the recruiting industry started in 2001. So basically since then till now, last 20 years, you've got all that data there. So I went through it and I just was curious about the quote unquote best ever at each position. How accurate is that? And it turns out it's really freaking accurate. Um, I'll just run down by position here and then we'll toss it to Jared for a second. But Ty Thompson, the best recruit at quarterback Oregon's ever had. He was a 2021 recruit. Kelvin Banks, best offensive lineman Oregon's ever had, 2022 recruit, will enroll uh, next year, assuming he continues and and signs. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, the best defensive line recruit, 2019, he's on the roster. Justin Flo and Noah Sewell, number one and two at linebacker, they're on the roster, 2020 recruits. Dante Manning, the top corner recruit, he's a 2020 guy. The number two rated player there is Mikhail Wright, and he was a couple classes ago. The top safety in program history, Steve Stevens, the fourth. He's a 2018 recruit of the guys here. Maybe the one that you would say has been the most underwhelming, who's been on the campus for a little bit. I think he's a chance to start this year. Um, but you get the picture. I mean, that's, that's six position groups where Oregon has landed the very best prospect in the last four cycles. Um, that's pretty crazy to think about. And then the other position groups, they're not that far off. So, like, I'll run through the other ones. At running back, the best ever. Jonathan Stewart in 2005, this is maybe the position group along with defensive tackle that Oregon has maybe not landed a a, a premier guy, quote unquote, recently. Um, The most highly regarded would be Seven McGee from last year's class. He's considered the seventh best running back Oregon has signed. At wide receiver, though, it's Cameron Colvin, 2004 recruit, but you don't have to look far down the list to find recent guys. Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton from 2021, this last class number two and number three on that list. Micah Pittman from a couple years before that is five. Tied end, uh, Curtis White, who's a local kid from Sheldon High School, remains the only five-star Oregon has landed at tight end. Um, his career did not turn out very well, unfortunately. He retired early because of injuries, but Maliki Matavajo and Terrence Ferguson are two and four on that list. And then at defensive tackle, Helodi Nada from 2002, who up until Kayvon Thibodeau committed a couple of years ago, was the number one recruited Regardless of position Oregon had ever landed, um, he's tops the D tackle list. The next closest that's on the roster now is Keon Ware Hudson from a couple of cycles ago. He's, two th- he's number seven on that list. So I run through all that to say that it's pretty easy to just say, I think this is where it's at and where it's going to go. And there's a lot of data here in terms of like six of the positions, literally, they've landed in the last four years, the best recruit ever. And you look at the other ones and they at least have, in some cases, the second or third or fourth guy. Or at least a top ten guy on that list. So, I mean, I think Jared, um, and I know I've been probably more closely invested in, in Oregon, maybe longer than you are. I'm about ten years older than you. I know you come from Boston, uh, Massachusetts. That's a terrible Boston accent. I shouldn't have done that on air. I probably should have practiced that before for that trial run. Um, it's okay. But it's okay. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. It's pretty bad. I apologize. My sister went to school. I've Boston. heard worse. My sister went to school in Boston. I should have a better, a better, a better, a better delivery on that. But I, I say all that because uh, I've been following Oregon recruiting for quite a long time. And the, where they are right now is, is pretty honestly just kind of ridiculous. Um, I didn't think that they would ever get to this point where every year they could, I mean, go out and land the best recruit at position X. Um, I mean, for crying out loud, they've already signed four different offensive tackles in the last, I think, five years that are one, two, three, and four on that list. Um, And that's just recently. So um, from your vantage point, I know you you enrolled at Oregon, but we should let listeners know Jared did go to the University of Oregon. So it's not like he's completely detached or anything like that. He's he's definitely been following his program very closely. But from your perspective, like how startling is it to just see the recruiting successes? Because I think you started – at Oregon, pre-Mario Cristobal, at least head coach mm-hmm. era, are you kind of surprised this is where they're at? Because to me, it's just it's pretty
1: mind-boggling. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah, I, my freshman year was Helfrich's last year, sophomore the Tiger, and then junior-senior was under Cristobal. And to answer the, the general question of will they continue to recruit at the best ever, I think yes. Uh, you, you see this in the last couple of years. I mean, Eric, you just went through the list, and – Almost every single one of the top the top people was in the last three recruiting cycles, yeah. and a lot of them were in the class of twenty twenty one, which I think is going to be an unbelievably special class at the University of Oregon. But you know, it's it's a bit a bit of hindsight as well. You know, Chip Kelly, we've all known, is he recruits more towards what the team needs, uh, and not that Mario Cristobal doesn't, but you know, Cristobal can just go out there and almost get you know he'll 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 be he'll put Oregon's name in anybody's top six or top twelve, whatever the case may be and and he'll he'll put them in a position to get that recruit and land them and you know the last four years under him has been just so different from, compared to where Oregon was six years ago under Helfrich. yeah um and yeah i i don't I don't anticipate them having a problem beating out the quote unquote best ever recruit at each position group within the next couple of years. Um just like you said with the offensive lineman, you know, we saw Panay Sewell as this high four star, near five star guy. Mm-hmm. And he was a transcendent talent. And then what does Oregon do? They just signed Kingsley Sawamatia and he's a five he's a total five star. And then they just up him one more and they get Calvin Banks Jr. Um it's it's incredibly impressive. And eventually a tight end will come in. I think running back has to be the next logical option because yeah. of how, how little Oregon has really been involved with high five-star running, running back recruits. Um, but then again, you look at their production on the field and you look at CJ Vidal and Travis Dye, who are both three stars at a high school and, you know, CJ Vidal is a top 10, you know, rusher at, at, at Oregon in, in history. So, it's uh it's a, it's an unbelievable process the way they're doing it. And yeah, I think honestly they can contend with, you know, the blue bloods you look at Ohio States and Clemson and Bama and Georgia and the SEC and you know Oregon has been, you know, top 12 class three of the last four years, I believe. And I think they're just going to continue to stay up in that top 15, even top 10 range.
0: I want to twist this question slightly and then we'll move on to the third one and I think mm-hmm. you maybe kind of tipped your hand on your answer here, but of the four <laughs> positions that didn't, that don't have the quote unquote best ever at their position from a recruiting perspective. And those being running back wide receiver, tight end defensive tackle, which one do you think they shore up? I mean, they say shore up like there's problems of those position groups shore up as in ah. land the best recruit they've ever landed right, right, at this right. position, which is a little different thing, but like, which one do you think that, which one, I guess do they, do they add next to the new top guy? Is it running back? Wide receiver, tight end, defensive tackle.
1: Yeah, so I did kind of tip my hand. I do think it would be running back. However, if I had to pick a second option, I would easily say wide receiver. Uh, I think defensive tackle is just going to be a little hard to, you know, pull somebody out of Texas or the South because I don't know how many, you know, generational or, you know, five star talents are going to be coming out of California or the West Coast, Arizona for defensive tackle. But I think there's a good you know there's there's plenty of options every year out of california for some five-star wide receiver and uh troy franklin just missed out on the five-star status this last go around but i think oregon would could put themselves especially with uh their recent success in recruiting for wide receivers to put themselves in a great position to land a top you know 20 overall wide receiver in the country um that's that's just me I think running back probably becomes or probably comes first I think as a running back recruit you might see what they're doing on the offensive line and your eyes might you know become wide open thinking about all the lanes you could run through um I think also Joe Moorhead's offensive philosophy will play into that as well but yeah I think running back comes first wide receiver second I'm going to say something really vague that's going to annoy the listeners.
0: Um, and then we're going to move on. It's going to be receiver, and I think it's going to be this class. All right. The number three question mm. from at Paradise919400. What do you forecast are the remaining open positions to be filled to complete the football class of 2022? Hashtag and Audibles. Um, so right now, Oregon has 14 commitments. And I don't want to, like, delve too far into scholarship math. Um, but I think 22 to 23 is about where they're going to wind up in terms of scholarship numbers. So there's about eight more spots. And um, I don't want to like forecast, like I think they're going to take this number of this and that number of that. But I think a couple positions that I, I do think they need to address, they have no running backs in this class. They have no cornerbacks in this class. Um, I think you want to at least address every position group once in each class. If you can, I think that's optimal. And uh, those are the two spots that they just haven't added anyone at. So I think you can expect a running back and a cornerback to at least be added. And I would anticipate at least probably more than one corner, you know, looking at the depth, uh, Mikhail Wright, I, this might be his last season at Oregon. I think he could look to go pro after. Um, and that would leave you with a handful of kids on scholarship who coming into the season have like almost no experience. So I think you'd like to see another, maybe a, one or two corners added in this class. Um, And then I'll say from a who they're still in on perspective and who I think is in good shape with, like Cyrus Moss is a defensive end out of Las Vegas. He's a borderline five-star recruit. I think he's an obvious take, and I think you would more than likely see him at Oregon. And if it's not him, I think they'll take another defensive end kind of prospect if possible. Um, We've talked about on the show before, Moss is kind of considered the Kayvon Thibodeau sort of. Role, actually, and I think this is going to be a question later in the show, so I won't talk too much there, but that, that, that's a name to know. Um, and then there's a couple of, like I said, there's a receiver or two out there that, that, that they're in on who are big-time guys, and there are a couple of offensive linemen, like we mentioned earlier, also to be aware of. And then I, I just imagine right now at linebacker, I think they've taken – I don't know what you want to call them because you've got edge rushers and, and linebackers, and right now they're kind of synonymous. But I, I would expect another inside linebacker maybe in this class. Um, I'm not going to put a name out there. They just got T.J. Dudley, who's a really, really good interior guy from the state of Alabama. But I think that's another position that you can see them look to address. Um, Jared, just looking at this class and looking at team needs, are, is there anything I'm missing there in terms of, like, do you think – are you like, boy, they really actually need a long snapper? Um, or, or, or or maybe maybe you I think mean, they really need a, a, a new punter. To, they got to really worry about that Thompson. He might be going pro soon. Or where are you at in terms of positions? <laughs>
1: A yeah, long snapper, man. That's one of the most uh, important positions out of the field. Well, um, I mean, Karst- Karsten Battles is, is doesn't have a whole lot of eligibility left, so no, he does not. Yeah, that's true. I would, you know, I, I would have faith for them to to replace Carson. Um, but no, I think you uh, you hit the nail on the head right there. Uh, yeah, the scholarship math. I'm not going to dive into. There might be transfers coming in or uh, people entering the transfer portal. You we just don't know on on basically a week to week basis on how many scholarships. Oregon will be working with, but yeah, I think addressing some depth at cornerback will be extremely important. Um, I also think potentially going out and getting more secondary depth, meaning in the the safety position, pre-safety, something like that would be beneficial for them. Uh, And I think we talked about uh, Cyrus Moss uh, on the edge. I think that's, that'll be an important replacement piece for, for Kayvon when he eventually leaves after the year. Uh, Sorry if that's a spoiler. He's going to go. It's going to (laughs) happen.
0: Yeah, I don't don't think that's (laughs) spoiling it for many people. I think a lot of people just realize that's the reality. I think I think he'd be. Yeah, he'd
1: be smart to go. Um, But yeah, linebacker, they've done a great job with just accumulating pure talent and depth, uh, especially in the 2020 class with uh, Flo Sewell and Jackson Leduc. Um, but, yeah, I think running back will be a need, absolutely, because C.J. Verdell will be gone. And uh, Travis Dye, I believe, only has one, year, one more year eligibility. But, you know, you look like at Byron Card- Cardwell and 7 McGee coming in um, and Trey Benson and, and the class of 2020. Yeah, I think that'll be a good stepping stone, a good starting point for sure. But I think what worries me the most is probably corner depth at this point. Um, I, don't, I don't know – which, which prospect Oregon is exactly looking towards, but I think they can get themselves some talent. And you know, I think this class is going to fill up soon. I mean, it's <laughs> already you get, you get four, four recruits in you know, this one-and-a-half-week span. Uh, so they're up to 14 already. That's, were, and if we guess 22, that's you know, only eight more kids, and we still have months and months before this class comes to assigning signing
0: I'll make another comment and then just kind of move on because apparently that's what I'm going to do. Um, I, I think I think we're going to be pretty close to full capacity um, by the day Jared is starting his job with us. But I should say, but by, by the the SNL event, I bet you within a week of that, the fallout of that, they're going to be pretty close to full capacity. And I think they want it that way so they can go into fall camp fully focused on preparing for the season. Go through the season, you host a handful, you know, more than a handful. You host guys, but. Yeah. They they, they want to, I think, try to get this locked down by the end of July as much as possible. Uh, I would agree.
1: that That is certainly
0: what it seems like for right now. This next question is right at you. So I'm going to ask it and I'm going to let you jump in from at Duck for Quacks. Welcome, Jared Mack, to the Ots and Audibles. Question, what made Mark Wazikowski so successful in his quick turnaround of the baseball program? And who is your favorite Duck athlete ever? I will not no accept Lake Seastrunk as an answer. And I'm going to guess you would never have said that. So uh, go ahead. There's a question from Duck for Quacks. And if you'll, those listening know he's a frequent question asker and and always a fan favorite.
1: Well, so thank you, Duck for Quacks, for for asking a baseball question. I'm not sure how often those pop up on odds and audibles. Um, I think this is the first. It,
0: this might actually be the very first time anyone's ever requested us to talk about
1: baseball. <laughs> Well, I am happy to uh, talk about baseball all the time. Uh, I think what's made Mark Matkoski so successful so quick, uh, I thought this team this year we went they went to the regionals. It was a tough loss to LSU, but I think they had a great season overall, and I think anybody would be hard pressed to say against that. But I think what made him so successful is he is is adaptable end mm-hmm. of the day. you know uh, under George Horton, who had a great tenure at Oregon as head coach, They were definitely more of the collegiate small ball, you know, get a runner on first, advance to the second, try to drive them in type of deal. And, you know, that just isn't exciting. It worked in college baseball for a while. Still does. You still have plenty of teams who do it, who do well every year. Um, But I think the way baseball has progressed at both the professional and collegiate level is really into the three true outcomes. And if you don't know what the three true outcomes are, it's this uh, sabermetric idea that has been sweeping across baseball, and I'm sure if you watch it, you understand. But there are only three outcomes. It's a strikeout, a walk, or a home run. So the goal is to get on base, and the goal is to drive that person home with a home run. Um, it's a lot easier than trying to bunt somebody over and wasting it out. And you saw that a lot from this year's Oregon's team. Uh, you know, Gabe Matthews really came on at the end of the season. You know, driving the ball for power and all gaps. Uh, Kenyon Joven, obviously, that was a huge a success. That was a huge barometer of success for Coach Wasikowski to have him at the DH spot and be an instant power threat, and you know, be able to put the ball out and all across the field, take any pitches anywhere. Um, but then, you know, Pac-12 Player of the Year Aaron Zavala, he hit for power this year, which was impressive. His Sophomore year, the shortened season of 2020, was a, an impressive year for him. He was able to put the ball in play and hit for a little bit of power, more double gap-to-gap gap gap stuff. But this year, he put the ball over the fence and really drove the ball. So I think Bozakowski this year had just a really balanced team, as, long as, the, as well as the pitching staff. You know, he had, he had three starters who you could count on basically every night to go out there and get you at least six innings of work. Uh, the bullpen was young, but you had Isaac Aon and Rio Britton, Andrew Moziello, Hunter Bro, who were all reliable arms. So I thought this team was really well balanced. I thought they were really underrated heading into the season, and I think that showed. Uh, and I also think that the the youth of the bullpen showed in the postseason. But you know, he's he's adaptable. He's he's hard on his team. And uh, he's, he's got a great baseball mind. And I think that's the, the major keys for him to continue his success and, you know, why he landed a contract extension from the university.
0: Jared, we should note, was our baseball beat writer the last couple of seasons. And as you can tell, he's, he knows a little bit about the diamond sports, a little more than Matt and I do. We'll put it that way. So I, it's good. The, if, we, if anyone has baseball questions, we'll make sure Jared's on the program for that. Um, favorite Oregon athlete, did you have one? Oh, shoot.
1: Forgot to answer that. Um, gosh. Uh, I'm probably showing my age in, I guess, a good way, right? Um, sure. I have to say my favorite Oregon athlete has to be Marcus Mariota. I think his uh, turnaround of Oregon's program got me, you know, in, to fall in love with the, with the program, with the university, ended up you know, shaping my decision to attend school there. Um, that's got to be it. I don't, I don't think there's a close second.
0: I think that's probably pretty, pretty safe bet, too, in terms of you yeah. ask. You're the, the av- not the average. Not that you're average, Jared, because we think you're above average. We wouldn't have hired you full-time. But I think most people who Thank watch you. and follow Oregon are uh, uh, probably that's going to be your answer. Um, I'm, not, I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to give an unsolicited answer because uh, it was, I wasn't asked. Next one from at Jeff Brosey. Uh, Cyrus, looks, Cyrus Moss looks like KT 2.0 and would, would appear to potentially flourish in a Tim DeRuiter defense. If the Ducks land Moss, would he be the next Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, like, semantically, the way this question is worded, I, obviously Moss isn't on any team this year, so he's not going to be the 2021 Defensive Player of the Year. And my pick would be Kayvon Thibodeau to be the 2021 Defensive Player of the Year. Um, would he be, like, the next one after KT? Honestly, I'd probably bet my money on Justin Flo or Noah Sewell. Um, maybe even like a Jamal Hill could take a huge step, although usually linebackers, defensive linemen win this kind of awards. Um, I think Moss has the ceiling to be that kind of a player. I also don't want to like come out here on a podcast months before the start of his senior season in high school and, and anoint him a the best player in the Pac-12 when he arrives. I, I think the ceiling is there. And again, for those who aren't familiar, th- this is pretty close to like a carbon copy of KT. I know some of the um, – Explode like some of the testing numbers have been pretty similar recently. I think body type wise, Moss is maybe slightly leaner at this stage than Thibodeau, Um, but I think both are going to play pretty similar, um, assuming Moss ends up at Oregon. And and again, Moss uh, hasn't made a decision, he will be at Oregon Saturday Night Live event. For for my money, I wouldn't be surprised if he gives a commitment around that event before or after or at that event, Um, but certainly a player to know. And and if you go and you want to watch his his high school highlight films from the Las Vegas area. Um, you're going to come away seeing some pretty. I think, I don't know, Jared. I'm assuming you probably watched a little bit of Cyrus Moss because if you have, you probably feel similar in saying like, I I get the KT comparisons.
1: That's it's they're evident on film. Oh, they're they're like low hanging fruit. It's it is <laughs> exactly. really evident. Uh, there's like you said, he's a little leaner, but you know, same same kind of body composition, same you know, same height basically. He's someone you look at, you really feel like he has a projectable future in terms of weight gain and how he can look when he's a junior in college compared to how he is as a senior in high school. You know, I think he, he has that potential to be a, a, a runner in the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year category. I think, I, I don't know, I feel like Oregon, if he were to commit, would kind of treat him as KT did his freshman year. Uh, I don't know if he would see the field too often, but I also think that his skill and just pure athleticism might, you know, play the coach's hands and have to get him out there on the field. But no, I think he has a great potential to turn into something like KT is. And, you know, and KT, we all know, is somebody who is in that Pac 12 Defensive Player of the Year discussion. Um, but yeah, you, you look at Cyrus Moss and you do see a lot of Kayvon Thibodeau on, on him.
0: Yeah, and we should note that uh, it's not like we're making these comparisons out of nowhere. I, I think Cyrus Moss has compared himself to Cave on Thibodeau. Um, Cyrus Moss said on his visit this last month in June to Oregon that he spent a ton of time around Cave on Thibodeau, and the staff mm-hmm. basically was like, hey, this is the guy you could be replacing. Um, and from a timeline perspective, that would work out because Thibodeau's last year, as Jared said earlier, and I've said a hundred times in the podcast, and Matt's probably said 200 times, this is going to be KT's last season. And that opens up that kind of explosive edge rushing defensive end. Maybe he's standing more this year spot. And assuming Moss gets his body prepared enough, because I do think that's the thing that distinguishes the two is he's maybe 10, 15 pounds lighter. um, I don't think there's any question that Moss could come in and maybe push to start right away because i don't think on the roster right now there's a clear era apparent. so um someone like mm-hmm. moss would, would make a lot of sense to to maybe come in and actually you know I, you made a comment earlier jared about it, it took kt a little bit i think that was in part because they had a, a Gus cumberlander back who is a, a capable player at that spot um yeah i don't necessarily look at the 2020 i mean and we're projecting here and, and that we have the 2021 season upcoming and there could be a couple of players maybe Braden swinson takes a big jump maybe somebody else does that i'm not even thinking of. Um, you know, like a Jada Navarrete, and, and one of those guys takes a huge leap, and it's very clear that they're the next guy at that spot. But like for my money right now, the idea of Moss is probably almost more attractive in terms of being the next guy there than anyone on the team right now. So, um, And that speaks to his talent. Again, he is a borderline five-star. I'm not going to be surprised at all if he is one um, once this cycle is, is done and, and they, do, they finalize all the evaluations. So um, a prospect to certainly know. I mean, we talked earlier, not a lot of room left at the end. Uh, Moss is a, a guy that'll take a spot all the way down to the wire. If it goes there, I don't think it will. I think he's going to be someone that winds up on the commitment list again, maybe by the end of the month. All right. This is where we're going to wrap it up. This is a question from at heart underscore Lee. I think this is your first question on the show. So thank you for asking it. If the money's not there in the next round of TV negotiations, do you think Oregon and the other big schools in the PAC 12 should try to leave the conference for greener pastures? Hashtag Ots and that's a good question. Um, I'll start this by saying, like, I want to be optimistic that the next round of TV negotiations are actually going to be like pretty positive. Um, you know, obviously I, uh, my, I, I write about a football team. I don't write about TV negotiations and TV deals and business. That's not like my background, but they've made a change at, com- in, in the commissioner and the, the, the new guy, his background is in this stuff. Like he's, he's run TV networks and he's run, uh these kind of deals before he's you know currently working in las vegas i think until the end of the month until he becomes a full-time commissioner i think in august Um, i might be off on that he might already actually be the full-time commissioner i should probably check myself um but I, i think i think i'm gonna guess that there's gonna be an improvement there um if that's not the case as the question asks um the concept of greener pastures from other conferences is like i don't know exactly how that works So, like, where do you want them to go? Are they going to the Big 12? Are they going to the Big 10? And if they're going to those conferences, because they're not going to go to the SEC or the ACC, that's all the way across the country. But even if they go to the Big 12, they're playing primarily schools in Texas and Oklahoma and Nebraska. And those aren't, like, that's a lot of travel. That's that's not – those aren't short flights. I just did a flight um, from Dallas to Portland. Um, a couple of weeks ago back from my trips to South America. And that was like a four and a half hour flight. Um, you know, and those who went down to Arlington for the, you know, the the Oregon Auburn game a couple of years ago, probably know that I think Jared, you were down there too. So you're probably familiar a little bit with that travel. Um, mm-hmm. this, this isn't like, I mean, the, and, and, and maybe, maybe I'm overlooking how problematic the TV deals are, but from a convenience perspective, I don't know if that's like a fit. And the only way I could really see that happening would be like, if it's something where you take, Oregon, you take the big players like you say, maybe you take six of them, and then you take the six big players from the Big 12, and those teams melt, melt together. And so you've got like Oregon, I'm going to do this off the top of my head without even preparing it, but it's like Oregon, USC, UCLA, Washington, Arizona State, and Stanford. And you take those schools, and you move them to the Big 12, and the Big 12 has, their contributors are Texas, Oklahoma, you know, uh, TCU, you know, I don't. I don't know. i have, have to. I have to think more on who would be coming from the Big Twelve. But, and you have two divisions, and and there's like three crossover games between the divisions, and it's primarily you just playing your your division, and so it's like a pseudo Pac-12 and a pseudo Big Twelve. And like I'm coming with this on the fly, but this is like the only scenario that makes any sense to me because just from a geographical perspective, it seems kind of. It just doesn't really add up for me. I don't know. Like, Jared, do, do you agree? Like, I, I just. I mean, I'm not saying that they shouldn't look at changing up the conference because i think it's flawed but i just am unable to really see a circumstance that makes enough sense right now so unless somebody has a better idea i'm kind of like probably not
1: oh yeah i'd agree i just think it's you know it's a it's a flawed system but it's what we have at the end of the day and i'd like to look at the potential tv negotiations in this optimistic perspective with the new commissioner but you know based off of Based off of the Pac-12's trends, seemingly forever under Larry Scott, it hasn't gone well. No. And so hopefully this will be a, a new person in charge. It'll be, you know, it'll be better. Like you said, the, the greener pastures might actually present themselves. But if they were to, if the big schools in the Pac-12 were to leave, and I'm thinking it's Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA, maybe Stanford, maybe ASU. Yeah, I, don't, I don't even know who you take. I mean,
0: it's kind of hard. Yeah.
1: I think, you know, first it's, it's where, where are they going? Right. Are they putting them in the big 10 or the big 12? Are they, are they going to do a world soccer and form a super league? (laughs) Um, Are they and, and who, who does it benefit? Right. If you move those four schools that are listed, Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA, and you move them into the big 10 or the big 12, This might rub listeners the wrong way, but I think the only school that really benefits off of that is USC. I think they're the only big, big school that's going to go in there and compete with Texas or compete with Ohio State. And then even the second, quote unquote, second fiddles in those conferences are Oklahoma and Michigan. And those are not, you know, those aren't schools to laugh at. Those are arguably bigger schools than Oregon, than Washington, than UCLA, especially in football. So I don't I don't think a move to a different conference is going to be beneficial to anybody. And then at the, on the flip side, if those schools leave, what is what is left with the Pac-12? What do you do with Utah? What do you do with Washington State? Um, it's uh, I just uh, I don't think the conference realignment is going to be as seamless as it was with you know, people leaving the Big East. And right. Even still, that wasn't very seamless. They're trying to get it back. Um, <laughs> well, and I
0: think just really quick, the geography makes more sense for realignment on the East Coast than on the West Coast because there right. are simply more schools in a more compact area, and it wasn't exactly. that complicated. It's not that complicated to ask a school from the ACC to join the SEC, like we've seen take place, or vice versa. Um, mm-hmm. It's not that hard to say, "Hey, Texas A and M, you can join the SEC." they're a drive away from LSU or Missouri is even probably closer than some to some of those other places. So like yeah. geographically, it's it's just a hard sell for me to think you put the PAC 12 to these schools somewhere and it's not like a, a nightmare trying to do this. And then the other thing is it, it, we talk about the, I think the the logistical part of traveling that's for football, but you think about the smaller sports, that's going to be financially a nightmare to try to coordinate the, Exactly. Volleyball yeah. team is suddenly going to be playing games in, in like Lubbock, Texas, rather than in, in Pullman, where you can take a bus. Like I, This stuff gets complicated. And One last discussion point here, and I, this is the last question, so we'll end the show here soon, but like you brought up something that I've long thought makes the most sense for college football, but I just never think will happen, which is the, kind of the soccer, the Super League. Yes, the Super League. And I say that because I, I really think if you wanted to do something drastic, it would be to basically have 20 to 25 team conferences and those teams play each other only. And maybe you split those into divisions and you play 12 games against your division and you have maybe 20, I don't know, 26 teams. I'm just putting this together on the fly. And that kind of adds up if you had four conferences that size. If you look at the number Mm -hmm. of conferences in D1 football, let's say that, and that puts you at just over like 104 schools if you do 26. I don't know. That doesn't have to be a number. It can be more. It probably needs to be to accommodate everybody. But like if that would be to me the most exciting and interesting thing if you're doing a realignment sort of thing of of you take like the Pac-12 and maybe you combine it with a couple of the Big 12 schools and a couple of the top Mountain West schools, and then you do the same kind of things in the Big 10 with the Mac schools and you do the same kind of things with some of the ACC and SEC schools. And frankly, you'd end up with four massive conferences and you could, I think that would be a lot more suitable. And rather than doing any non-conference games, you would just play your conference and then put quote unquote, you know, how many ever teams you have qualify for postseason through that. I don't know. Like I, I've always thought, I, I've, i thought that for six to eight years, but always felt like that was never going to happen I don't think it's any more feasible now but uh but like <laughs> agree. but off the top of my head that makes more sense than than doing some of this other stuff if you're just going to do some sort of expansion um this way because I think realigning with you know Oregon and a couple of these schools joining another conference I just don't know if that'll ever work
1: yeah it's it's just too much really I mean and you don't even have to get into it too far. All you can talk about is just what you were saying and now what the distance is. I mean, that'd be, that'd be ridiculous just for, if for football in general, but then basketball and all the, all the smaller sports like volleyball you were mentioning to have them fly four hours for every like- away game at least.
0: I mean, even hypothetically, if if uh, those schools only left for football, and that would be to save costs, but they remain in the Pac-12 for non-football sports, they, they become like social pariahs in the conference. Like everybody hates those schools because they just dipped for the football money, and now they're still. So you just create all sorts of problems. Is my answer. Right. So I like I love the idea of of this working. I just think unless we've got like new technology to like transport it's the star trek scotty can beam them up and and, and, and transport them <laughs> to different parts of the country instantaneously i just think this is too complicated and that by the way would probably be very expensive technology which would probably not help the bottom lines either so um it would not yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right we're gonna wrap the show up there i think um thanks to jared for, for jumping on here kind of a weird week where matt's on vacation and, and i'm kind of running the show and jared again not fully on uh, not fully full-time quite yet. That'll change in, a, in a, a two or three weeks here. But uh, appreciate you taking some time. I know you've got another job to juggle. I know you're not even in the state of Oregon right now. But I appreciate you jumping
1: <laughs> on and, and fielding some questions with me today. Well, it was a blast. I appreciate being on. Um, yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm free. Yeah, uh, after work. So if this uh, <laughs> becomes a need again, I'll, I'll I'll absolutely love to fill in for Matt or join on with you guys and uh, you know answer some baseball questions.
0: All right, well, uh, hopefully your Friday's free because I might need you then. Um, joking, maybe. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> this has been an episode of the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Eric Skopel. Uh So thank you so much for listening to this show and we will talk to you guys later.